What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another searing hot episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Oh, boy. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, and it is so fucking hot out there. So I hope everyone that is uh, on the picket lines is staying cool somehow, some way. Uh, man, it's been a it's been a really exciting week. I got to be honest. Uh, I got to have dinner with one of my literary heroes. Uh, I don't really want to say who it is because I don't know if that would be kosher with uh, this person, but let's just say they've written some of the most controversial and exciting books of the last, uh, I don't know, 30 years, uh, starting in 1985. Some of his books have been made into movies. Some of them uh, are short stories. Some of them are lauded. Some of them are beloved. They're, uh, They're just amazing. And, you know, there's this thing of like, Don't meet your heroes, because that can be terrifying. Like, what if they fucking suck? But uh, it couldn't have been better. It couldn't have been nicer. My hero couldn't have been... um, It couldn't have been a better experience. And I was so afraid because I was like, well, if this this sucks and meeting him is awful, like, it's going to ruin the experience of all the books I read, and I'm going to totally think of him in a different light. And I'm just even more in love with this person and this writer than I was uh, ever before. And the point is, I tell you this because shoot your shot. Uh, I wrote him a letter asking him to be on the podcast. And while he was like, hey, dude, so nice to hear from a true fan. While I don't do podcasts because, you know, I'm frankly so busy hosting my own. Uh, I would be down to get a bite if you'd be interested. And to me, I was like, that's even that's even better than having him on this podcast because we can get to know each other and hopefully become friends. Um, and the truth is we've been texting each other since we had dinner about sex in the city and the flash and books I should read. And man, I'm just over the moon. So my point is, uh, I always say this job is thankless. And when you think someone is incredible and spectacular and does something amazing, tell them, uh, because you never know what's going to happen. And everybody likes hearing, um, that their work is appreciated. Speaking of work that's appreciated, oh my God, on the podcast today, we have Stacey Harmon. Stacey is so awesome. She has written on shows like Why Women Kill, The Goldbergs. She has written uh, the Smurfs movie Lost Village in 2017, and she has written on the first four seasons of Cobra Kai. That's right, dude. Cobra Kai, the most beloved series other than like Stranger Things on Netflix the past 10 years. Uh, We've got the inside scoop. We've got some talk about Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. We're going to get through all of that and more on a very awesome, searing hot, because how hot it is outside, episode of Write Who You Know. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and get some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. By the way, I'm very sad that you just like hate Encino. Like it kind of hurts me a little bit, I'm but I get sorry. it. No, I I get it because it is so hot. And you coming here and saying all that totally validates her because for years I'm like, we should move to the valley. Like Carpenter is there. Like it's so lovely. And she's like, hey, fuckhead. If I wanted to live on Mars, I'd go to Mars. Exactly. And I thought Mars would be, I thought it would be, you know, real suburbia like i borrow a cup of sugar from my neighbor yeah and there's block parties and uh you know it's everyone waves to each other as they're walking their dogs and like it's just not like that it's not it's not picture perfect suburbia it's mm-hmm. just you're it's you're really just on your own even more than when you were living in hollywood uh-huh. and it's so fucking hot do your kids like it and by your kids, I mean know. like Mabel, who is only I'd, 12. I mean, I guess, but it's like, I don't care what my kids like. Yeah. It's about me right now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get a choice. They don't get a say in where we live. They don't get a say in where they go to school. That's how it should like, be. Yeah. That's how it was for me. That's I, why I'm... I never got a say. That's why I'm terrified of having another child. Because like, I totally want to, because I'm like, the best argument that was made to me of why you need to have multiple children mm-hmm. is, have you ever seen a, a, a family of three on a vacation where it's the <laughs> mom and dad and the kid? It's fucking weird. And you need to have multiple kids so that the kids can fuck off to Kiki Camp or whatever hotel provided exactly. babysitting. It and you can weird. get drunk and fuck your wife. And that kid's going to be on you. I know. What can we do now? What are we doing now? What fun thing are we going to do now? Ugh. You don't want that. And all the kids that I know that... um. No offense to you out there if you're listening and don't have siblings, but like all the, all the the kids that I know that are single, what what are they called? Uh, lo- only lonely only, children. 
<laughs> yeah, the old, the lonely children. The lonely I know, like children. Eh, they're a little cuckoo. You know. I will. I won't name names, <clears throat> but my ex husband was a only child, mm. and it terrified me to think that Mabel might be an only child. Wow. So I'm so glad I was able to give her siblings because if she turned out anything like that, <laughs> we'd be in trouble. Um, I'm going to back up here a while, Stacy. Okay. Where did you go to college? USC. No shit. Yeah. I had no idea. So you did you grow up in California? No. Where are you from? Uh, this is going to be a real. This is going to be a real getting I'm to know real you. I'm from real life Mars. Getting um, to know you. I'm from Michigan. What part? Like West Bloomfield? Nope. I'm from Northern Michigan, a place called Traverse City. Okay. Which is beautiful, and not everyone knows about it, and we kind of like to keep it that way. But it's just like it's really God's country. In a in a in a world where we have to do all this crap on Zoom, would you ever move back? Now that you're in Encino and you're like, fuck this. Would you ever go back to Michigan? I would go anywhere now <laughs> after being in Encino. No, I would totally go back to Michigan if it was a like a viable option for us. Why no viable? Just because like LA's just, here and Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, half my siblings followed me out here. So okay. I have family here now. And my mom actually um, sold the house we grew up in and moved out of Traverse City just recently. Uh, she She still lives in Michigan, but she's not there anymore so I'm kind of like if we went back it'd be really just start, like we'd know no one starting, starting our, our scratch over, yeah but I could work from there for sure yeah I was just in Nashville and I was like oh dang should I like be here that's where I want to be I know I love Nashville I know. oh you know I love Nashville yeah, I god oh there were so many drunken girls in the streets. I was like, this is like Vegas on steroids. Yeah. And they were all sucking penis cups and wearing the sashes yeah. like Bridezilla or whatever yeah. the fuck. And it looked so much fun. And I just was like, dang, like this is not where I want to live. But like I want to live like out by where Taylor Swift lives. Yeah. Well, that's not the cool part of that. The the bachelorette parties are not the cool no. part about no. Nashville. Definitely not. But like if you did you stroll into like uh, Roberta's or any of the little honky tonks? No, because I was with this this band. I was with uh, I was with Queens of the Stone Age, and oh, like they were weird. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I had like an hour to walk around the city, and we did. But like, it was like I didn't do anything cool. It was mostly like just like casual trip to Nashville with Queens of the Stone yes. Age. My my childhood friend who actually produces this fucking podcast was their base was like plucked from obscurity when we were twenty one or senior year of college. No way. Um, and they, the Queens guys have always been so like nice to all of, you know, cause they like, no, like these little dipshit friends of Michael's are like, they probably look up to us and think we're amazing. And we do. Um, and they've always just been like so nice and in their, and like their public personas, it's like they're, you know, the lead singer is like six foot five and like a Viking with a guitar and right. like, but to us, like couldn't be nicer, kinder, so sweet. And they like, let me come out on tour with them for a few nights after Kelsey went to a bachelorette party in Mexico, and I was very mad. Yeah. I was like, you, you travel need, for work. You need yours. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So at USC, did you study screenwriting? No. I was going to be uh, I was gonna be a singer. I was going to be a country music singer. So do you have pipes? I've got pipes. Oh, boy. Who are some of your favorite country artists? But did you, you looked at me, by the way. You looked at me <laughs> like, like, please don't make me sing. I like, I'm not singing. Um, no, I, I was in a band in high school. Incredible. Called Eternal Circle. We were so good. We won Battle of the Bands three years in a row. No shit. Uh, I sang uh, and played tambourine, and it was a lot of classic rock. I'm getting like a Christy McVie kind of totally. thing with the tambo. Yeah. Um, and I was like obsessed with with this like band world and like being a performer like that. And I was like, I'm gonna. So I gave up. The original idea was architect. You know, back when I was younger. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to be an architect. I'm going to be a motherfucking singer. So I went to, it was like leaving Michigan. I could either turn left and go to NYU or I could turn right and go to USC. And I chose Sunshine. And I was a performing arts major and then graduated with that worthless degree and was like, what the fuck do I do now? I just spent a hundred and $60,000 on an education that I don't know how to, you know, turn into a career of any sorts. And I wanted to do country music and I was like, okay, well, I have to get out to Nashville at some point, right? 
I'd never been. So I had to get a job to, in order to make money to get to Nashville. And I took a nanny job. And I took a hostess job. And while I was doing those two things and trying to save up to move out of L.A., I was living with two other girls kind of in the same position, both um, trying to be actresses. And we were all just struggling, and it was on the heels of Sex and the City was ending. So this was 2007? <clears throat> six? Five, maybe? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Even four? Maybe four. You know, you may be right. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm trying to date it because I was in college. I'm trying to think of the yeah. night that I watched it all with all the girls. I think, it, I think it ended maybe in 2004. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. And we were, we were like, we should write something. We didn't. None of us were writers or knew what we were doing. I didn't even know, even know screenwriter was a, like a career I could have. I thought it was like the same 10 guys sitting in a room writing everything. So we were like, let's write something of our own about young, what it's like to be young girls in L.A. Try, trying to make it. Uh, and we're like, let's write a book, like a how-to book, how to make it through your early 20s, post-college, you know, when you're broke and... They tell you you have to go get your own health insurance, and they tell you you have to get your own, you know, car insurance, and you're like, you're like you have four dollars, and you're like, I'm gonna buy booze with it. Obviously, yeah. I'm not gonna buy groceries. So we're like, let's write a book, and then we're like, oh, that book's gonna take a long time. <laughs> so we're like, let's write a TV pilot. That's like thirty pages. I didn't know what a pi- I didn't even know what a pilot was. I was like, okay. So we got we literally read like screenwriting 101 for dummies. And figured it out, read some, read some other pilots, and we were like, all right, I think we, I'm making it sound very easy. It's no, not I, an easy job, right? We know that. But uh, we wrote, a, we spent the next, like, I don't know, six months working on this pilot every night when we got home from our uh, remedial jobs. And it was called Kiss and Tell. And it was... Ex- Hot title. It was essentially girls. Mm-hmm. I was going to say. Set in L.A. I love it. Before girls, I love it. not as probably not as smart, but uh, mm, be surprised. I'd be, um. <laughs> uh, but it was fun, and we were like, now what do we do? Now what do we do with this? And we're like, obviously we need to get it to Darren Star. <laughs> Duh. Duh. So we we're like, how do we get this to Darren Star? We like Googled. I don't even know if Google existed yet. No, it did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We somehow we looked him up in the yellow pages. Um, we found that he was working on some lot in town. I want to say on the west side, uh, on whatever his next project was. Lipstick and junk. It might yeah, it might have been. Mm. And so we uh, we printed a copy of our pilot on pink paper and put it in a basket. Salmon, with, as it were. With mini bottles of champagne and candy and whatever cute things that related to the script. Mm-hmm. And we packaged it up all nice. And we sent our fourth roommate uh, to the studio as a delivery girl. I love this. Uh, to deliver this basket. This is incredible. We don't know if he ever got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible story if it worked. It didn't. We don't know that it ever worked. We don't even know that he ever got the basket. Um, but we did start like pimping it out to whoever would read it. And, uh, it got into the hands miraculously of Larry Sauls at UTA. Mm. And he called us and he said, I can sell this show for you. And we we're like, huh? What? <laughs> did you do like a fucking backflip? <laughs> Not at that point. Cause I'm still like, who are these people? Like, what the <laughs> fuck are they talking about? Who's this stalker calling me? Yeah, I'm like, oh, Larry. <laughs> uh, but within like two weeks, he had meetings set for us at everywhere. Um, and we we uh, signed on with producers uh, Tom Shadyac, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Bostick mm-hmm. uh, of Shady Acres. And Big Adam Sandler producers. Mm-hmm. And they... Uh, took it out with us and like I feel like it all happened so fast but before we knew it we had it set up at uh the WB do you remember yeah, that yeah of course my yeah. mouth was agape because I was like I cannot believe that like this ha- 
It's like a. This is like the dream. This is like what dreams are. You know, like are made of. Yeah. So I think we. I think we start like the idea to write something happened in like February, and uh, I feel like I just said February weird. February, uh, and we sold it in August. Did you? Uh, how do you find out that that Warner Brothers is actually going to put? Like, do you get the call? Was it in the room? Like, are Lar- you with your girlfriend? Larry, like, call- Larry called us. With Walk my, me through this moment. Um and. All I remember is he's is the number. Like I know he's he must have said Warner Brothers wants it. Um, I think he probably said put pilot. Which all this stuff went right over my head. I had no like you're, <laughs> you're, like, you're going to put it where you, you're, putting the, have, you're putting the pilot where. <laughs> yeah, where do they put it? <laughs> um, they put it on TV, right? <laughs> if you're lucky. Um, yeah, he sh- shouted all these terms, and then he said the number, and he said. $85,000. And I think I shit my pants. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you'll have to, the three of you will split that, but $85,000. I was still, I was like, we just won the lottery. <laughs> I had never, and like, like I said, like screenwriting was not a viable career option. Country music singer yeah in nashville was totally yeah, that's realistic easy, right um you know i was gonna sell out stages across around the world but this was like i couldn't wrap my head around it and the fact that they wanted to pay us that amount of money for something we we wrote kind of for fun was you know wild but it, it was that was our that was uh how we got started and that was my first and last threesome and uh, eventually we went our separate ways uh, right before the strike. Before the first strike. Before the first strike, we uh, went our separate ways. And I was very nervous then because I was like, what, how am I, can I do this on my own? I've never done this on my own. I didn't even know what I was doing two years ago uh, when we started. And um, it was actually Langley Perer of Bender Spink mm-hmm. who... Uh, brought me in there to uh, meet with Chris Bender and Jill McElroy, and she kind of like was the first person to believe in me. And she's like, you can do this. She's like, while you're on strike, you should write something on spec, which obviously I didn't do. I waited till, you know, we could pick our pens up again. But, sure. uh, you know, write something on spec of your own so that, you know, we can... Uh, you can prove to yourself that you can do it, one, but we can take it out and sell it when you're done. And so I was like, okay, now i got to figure out how to write a movie. <laughs> um, but I did, and I wrote a movie called Shared Fair, and, uh, which is still a fucking rad concept, at least. I won't say it's a good script, but concept about uh, two people who share a cab on New Year's Eve from JFK into the city. Um, and, you know, of course, they fall in love by midnight. I love it. But um, set that up at DreamWorks. <laughs> and... Were you just like... I mean, I just had... I had a dream. It all was a dream to, to start, you know? Yeah. It didn't become a nightmare until much, much later. Were, when you sold that movie, were you just like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. I can do it. Well, I can do it. I can do anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to Nashville. Exactly. <laughs> I can do anything. Yeah, no, I was, I mean, it was, it was dreamy. My whole, the start of my career was, it doesn't happen like that. And I, and I started to figure that out as we, as we went along. After the, after we sold Kiss and Tell, we um, got introduced to Linda Opst. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, was so huge. Yeah. And she was at Paramount, and she brought us on to rewrite a uh, feature for her. And so we just had like doors kept opening Amazing. for us. And we, I mean, and we started realizing we we shouldn't actually even tell our story because people were getting pissed. They were like these three bitches. Well, do you do you still t- talk to them ever? Like, do you ever see them? Do they still write? Do they still work in the industry? You don't have to they, name their names, but they like, still write. They went into the book world. Mm, yeah, they finally wrote the book. They wrote books. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that was going to take too long for us to do it together, but uh, yeah, they they do like YA uh, series and stuff. I I think. Interesting. 
um, anyone who does their research on this is going to probably find out something different. But. No, no, no. And uh, like, do you still talk to Larry Sauls ever or see him? Like, is he still like? Yeah, dog? I mean, he's like kind of still part of my team, but he's such a he's such a big dog over there, and and. I mean, he'll say hi to me if I <laughs> if I see him. Um, but yeah, no, I they kind of passed me off to uh, some other UTA players at some point. Was there like I can't be- I can't believe this. This is like this is like a fucking this is incredible. I know it's it's really you know that's how you picture it'll happen, right? When you're young and you you want to go to Hollywood and uh, make something of yourself, you think it'll happen like that. Yeah. And it really did for me. So I know I'm very lucky. But I also... You're also very talented. Well, I think back, I'm like, I'm like how I... Because I do believe I'm talented at this at this job. And, and I now I'm like, oh, I love my job. This is amazing. How I never knew this could be an option. Uh, I don't know how. But I think back to as far as like sixth grade and walking in after summer break and Mrs. Larimer says, we're going to do a book fair. And I can remember, like, my body was electric. I was like, fucking book fair. <laughs> She's like, we're, you're going to write, you're going to illustrate, we're going to bind your books, and we're going to put them on display for the whole school. Your parents are going to come, read all the books. Like, I was like, I'm going to be a novelist. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I felt it. I was so excited. And other kids wrote, like, you know, about their trips to grandma and grandpa's house over the summer or, like, canoeing camping trips or whatever they wrote about i had spent the summer reading our new uh through our new encyclopedia britannicas mm-hmm. remember those yeah well, of course i do <laughs> I, I i feel like you're way younger but no, you're not that i'm much almost younger. 40 and the the encyclopedia britannica was only the only what what was my generation's encyclopedia britannica was in encarta was when they oh, put yeah. them on like Right. computer CD-ROMs, which was just like the next version of Britannica. Okay, so I had we had actually bought, my mom had bought them from a, a door-to-door salesman. Nice. So we had a brand new set. It was like in the living room. And I would just go up to like an encyclopedia and just open it up to, a, you know, whatever. I had spent that summer uh, flipping through the V book and started reading about the Vietnam War. So weird. <laughs> But I, my sixth grade book fair book was a POW story. Oh, my God. Ab- uh, and about the uh, Marine who has to fly home to the States to tell the POW's wife and kids that he's uh, a prisoner of war. I feel like you should have got a Pulitzer in sixth and grade. And I illustrated it. Incredible. Do you still have it somewhere? It's got My mom must have it somewhere. She saved everything. What was the um, title? I think it was POW, mm-hmm. Mary on the Nose. I could have done better with no, that. No, no, but, I, like um, I think we could set this up still. I literally, like, and I, so I can remember loving writing yeah. and storytelling. And even if I think about it, country music is just Stories. one of the greatest forms of storytelling. So yeah. it all makes sense now. I just didn't know it was a career I could have. You You have worked on such great shit. I mean, like... I want to well, not let's not go too far. I mean, dude, <laughs> listen. Let's say good shit. No, I, Smurfs to me is so gangster. <laughs> like, what was that like taking your daughter to the premiere of that to be like, "Mommy wrote a fucking Smurfs movie." Well, the crazy thing is is like she didn't really know what Smurfs were, right? Yeah. Like I had to explain to her what Smurfs were. If it was like taking the miniature me to the premiere was really cool. Like my 10-year-old self would have been like my mom's fucking dope. Yeah. But I had to explain to her what Smurfs were. So she she did think it was cool. Um, you know, she got her face painted and like got to like take pictures with giant Smurfs. So that was fun for When her. she saw your credit though, does she like, holy shit. Like that to me. I think was like- she thought it was pretty cool. Her whole Girl Scout troop at the time uh, got like took a like, uh, what are those buses? Double-decker buses? Oh, you double-decker buses. Uh, yeah, field trip, double-decker bus to the premiere. Um, and, you know, she got to be like my mom. That is, dude. Movie. So she she did feel pretty cool, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you remember the movie Three Ninjas? No. Okay, never mind. Because Tell that, me. The, it's a movie that came out in 1992. It's like Home Alone meets Ninja Turtles, about three 10, 12, and an 8-year-old boy who have to defend their house. Um, and... Uh, 
get caught up in like a ninja cartel thing and they like basically like save the world when they're like little boys. And it sounds m- badass. It's incredible. Uh-huh. I'm actually I'm actually in the middle of rebooting it right now. Uh, really? Yes. Well, I'm not because we're striking, but like yes. <laughs> um but my first grade class got to be the test screening for this movie because the legend has it is during the LA race riots, my dad got a friend, got a call from a friend who was like, my dad was working in the live action acquisitions department of Disney, which was like brand new at the time. So his job was to like go around the world to like Berlin and Cannes and like find weirdo movies that Disney could then slap their logo on and distribute around the world. What an awesome job. Right? Incredible. So like Dances with Wolves, Shine, Evita. Life is beautiful, like some of Jerry's hits. Amazing. But Three Ninjas is the <laughs> one that like truly catapulted his career because so he gets a call. It's the L.A. race riots, yeah. okay? L.A. is literally burning to the ground. A friend calls him and says, Jerry, I know you don't even do domestic acquisitions, but there's this kid's movie that I think your children really like. My cousin, John Turtletaub, just directed it. It's playing at the DGA. Uh, oh, yeah, just that guy. Yeah, well, at the time, it was like, who the yeah. fuck is he? Yeah. But it's playing at the DGA, and I know LA is burning, but like, if you can get to the DGA, you got to see this movie. My dad sees the movie. He's like, this movie is incredible. My kids will fucking lose their minds. He asked the producers, can I borrow the print to take it back to show Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner, who at the time hadn't spoken like three words to him. Amazing. He brings us back to Disney. My first grade class gets to take a field trip to the Disney lot to watch Three Ninjas. This is amazing. And this my, is like LA kid totally. story, right? Totally. Um, but my dad is from St. Louis and he was always like, my mom would joke like, your father turns into stupid man somewhere from the, <laughs> the car door in the front door. I don't know how it happens, but like, <laughs> I don't understand how anybody in this business respects him because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, but we go and root that we had like room parents back then. I don't know if like yeah. they still do that. Yeah. The room, one room mom named Janet Katz brings a tub of red vines. And my dad tells me that during the movie, Jeffrey Eyes, Jeffrey Katzenberg is going, they don't, all they care about is the fucking red vines. <laughs> but after the movie, there's like a very famous line of like, Rocky loves Emily. And we came out of the screen room like high kicking each other and quoting the movie. And Disney bought the movie based on the success on of watching, this fucking first grade screening. You guys watch it. The movie became the highest grossing movie, not just of Disney, of the year, because it cost $2 million to make and made like $40 million bucks. Right. So like it had catapulted my dad's career. He got promoted. We went to Hawaii that year for Christmas. This and, is amazing. And of all of the movies that he has ever been a part of, when people find out like you three ninjas, like he's like, yeah, I also worked on Goodwill Hunting and Pulp Fiction. They're like, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like three ninjas has this like, weird. How do I not know this movie? I don't know, but you should watch it with Mabel because it rules. Yeah. It truly is so funny. I think even my Hunter might be into. It. Yeah. How old's your How old's Hunter? Probably three soon. Yeah. It's it's very PG thirteen. Like, okay. th- or no, it's very PG. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's very, like, <laughs> I don't think there's like, no, oh, he's, he's really into that. There's no F words. <laughs> anyway, so I understand what that feels like to be like, oh my God, look, this yeah. is my fucking dad. Even though like my dad didn't make it. He You're just, a hero. Yeah. They should test all kid movies that way. I think so. Bring a class. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Speaking, by the way, speaking of kid movies, I, can I nerd out on you a little bit about Cobra Kai? Yeah. Were you a karate kid person in growing up? Yeah, I was. I mean, I, those were, I mean, I had, didn't see Three Ninjas, but I was into like. Karate Kid is way bigger though. Like there's Karate Kid and then like every other ninja <laughs> every movie. Every other ninja movie. Yeah. I was into, I was, re, my dad really liked uh, Chuck Norris and Hell Van yeah. Damme. Uh-huh. And so, and I was the oldest. He didn't have a, you know, it was me and then two other girls. The boys were small. So. I was his son. He could watch movies. <laughs> I love that. So son, I, got, I, I mean, Stacy. I was really into Chuck Norris and Van Damme and Karate Kid and any like action uh, movie. Were you a Schwarzenegger from, gal? From eight, yep, totally. Whether it was Terminator or Kindergarten Cop, yeah. like I was into it. I'm not. It's not a tumor. I forget. <laughs> it's it. not a tumor. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I loved all that stuff, and probably because uh, my dad was making me watch it, but. So yeah, I was a huge Karate Kid fan, and when I read the Cobra Kai pilot and went into meat on that, it was actually, I don't know if you remember, it was set up first at YouTube. At YouTube. So did you write on season one as well, or season two? Season one through four. Oh shit, okay, mm-hmm. so you were there, okay, please continue. Um, I, didn't, I, well, I didn't know if you had come in at the Netflix part I was of an OG. Gangster. Writer's Love room. this. Um but when I went in on that meeting, I had been out of work in TV for two plus years. Um, I'd come, I'd left the Goldbergs, and I had went to and worked on the Smurfs, 
And so I hadn't been in television. It had been hard for me to even get a meeting at that point. It's impossible. I, it's this, the way this town works, know, right? Everything is crazy. Um, and so I, so I got the call from uh, my manager, and she was like, can you, you want to go meet on this, uh, you know, Karate Kid reboot um, show for YouTube? And I was like, is this what it's come to? <laughs> I totally get it. I was like, I mean, I guess I'll go. And then I did a little more research about the the three creators, and I was like, okay, I'm a huge Hot Tub Time Machine fan, so mm-hmm. Josh Heald was like, I was like, I can't wait to meet Josh Heald, geek out. And, um, and I met them, and I was like, these guys are awesome, and they're so uh, creative, and they're so funny, and the pilot is hysterical, and the concept's just too good to pass up, and so I really wanted to then impress them, and... I never know what I'm talking about in those initial meetings. Yeah, I, I was just out. like totally. I don't even know what I said. I don't know if they laughed or I laughed or if I, you know, peed in the chair. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. But I left and I was getting gas. Uh, and before I even got home, uh, they had offered me a writing spot. So I was oh like god. ecstatic. Oh my god! But at the gas station? Yeah, I don't. I know. I don't even like pumping gas. No, no, no. But I'm just like. I feel like with most staffing that I've gone out for, when it's network It takes te- forever to yes, hear, right? you never ever hear, unless you happen to be some big dog writer that they like really want, and you're going to be the co-EP. And yeah, I was not a big dog writer or anything. They just they just liked your vibe. We must have had a yeah. We must have vibed in that meeting that I can't remember, but because oh, yeah. that pilot is incredible, so good. And what's f- the whole first season is so solid, and I think it's because they got to really kind of explore the comedy of it all. Like, you know, people taking karate a little too seriously. Um, But then, you know, they start to really take the karate seriously. And so by season four, it's a real drama. It's a lot. It's a lot of. It's a lot of. Uh, I rem- I don't know what season it is, but it's like we're gonna fight for who gets this uh, this side of the water park. And I was like, <laughs> we, what are we doing here, guys? Yeah. But it, but I watched every single episode, every single season, yeah. because to me it's like it's comfort food. Yeah. And I thought like truly the paradigm shift. Like a lot of people give credit to Lord and Miller of like, okay, you took Twenty One Jump Street and like you made the nerds cool and the cool mm-hmm. guys are nerds and like yeah. you f- you flipped the world on its head and like figured that out. To me though. Cobra Kai really fucking is actually responsible for for this whole new shift of even three ninjas. Like I owe a lot of it to what Cobra Kai did, which is like, what if the bad guy is actually the good guy and the good guy is the bad guy? It's so smart and just done so well. And as someone who now lives in the Valley, if you have grown up in the Valley, the way that they do Valley (laughs) bits and shit, like... The Valley stuff's amazing. Yeah. It's so interesting too because uh, Billy Zapka was is the biggest sweetheart in the world like couldn't be nicer but ever since karate kid was labeled the bad boy the the, the villain the you know the do no good guy yeah. and he lived with that in real life too like people would call out to him on the street and be like you're a dick johnny <laughs> you know like that's hilarious that he lived with that in real life so he did not only got to you know vindicate himself on screen but in real life he got to vindicate himself so i think that's really funny i wish i could have seen those dudes pitch that to who sony yeah. they, that pitch must have been just like i the way and the way they pitch too is so creative and fun it must have been just a riot but they, they went and they went they, and they got the um they got johnny uh, and daniel johnny and daniel i even think they got um crease before mm-hmm. they even uh went to a studio so and i'm surprised like everyone didn't jump over the table i think they i think a lot of people jumped over the table oh. but youtube was making some real big promises and they were promising also like full creative control which is you know obviously very enticing yeah. for us writers and creators. You're like, oh, you're going to let me be in charge? Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a crazy a crazy comparison, but I've worked with some writers who have written on The Sopranos, and they tell me that when I was working on Sopranos, I could get a dinner reservation anywhere in New York, and like mm-hmm. telling people, you know, like, Rayo's at the original Rayo's, like they'd give me the fucking king table, right. or whatever. 
for a certain age group, even for my <laughs> for me, like working on Cobra Kai the last however many years, like must have kind of been somewhat rock starry, at least in my perception. Because like if you go to the Grove when Cobra Kai is coming out, right. everything is like Cobra Kai, like. You but, can't escape it. But you're, you know, I'm, I'm a, we're behind the scenes. I we're, know. They don't know, like, and this, you look at me and you don't think, oh, she writes on Cobra Kai. <laughs> no, I know. It's not like you're wearing a karate <laughs> gi, but like, did you, was, was it, a, did you, how, I guess did what I'm I, asking you is. Did I get the royal treatment? No. How did it feel to work on a show that was so a part of the pop culture zeitgeist, so beloved? It did, it felt pretty cool. It, you know, to be in an airport and see a group of guys dressed in their full uh, karate getup, uh, you know, Cobra Kai. And, uh, was that just by coincidence? They were on their way to some, like, con- convention. Karate con? Karate kid con? Something. I don't know what they were. But they were hysterical. And, you know, they would have never known I was involved. But I walked up and I was like, can I get a picture of you guys? And they are like, sure. And I was like, I'm actually a writer on Cobra Kai. And I, you would have thought, I said I was Jesus Christ coming back to save everyone. They were so excited. And how old are these guys? I shouldn't say. Forties, fifties, at least. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, definitely our demographic. Yeah. Uh, they were so excited, and they were, and they took, you know, they wanted tons of pictures, and then I, and then I felt like I had overpromised because I was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll send these to the, to the the big three, the creators, and uh, maybe they'll post you on their Instagram or I don't know. I, I can't make any. <laughs> and then I was like, Stacy, just shut your mouth. Don't introduce yourself to anyone. This is, and so, uh, but yeah, it was wild. It was, it was so huge. Cause after that, I feel like in my shitty head, I'm like, mm-hmm. Stacy can write her own ticket after that. You fucking have the, one of the best credits in town. Like unless you wrote on, and just like that or Ted Lasso, like Cobra Kai. I, you would think, but I just don't, it's just not been, it's not been as easy as it was to get going yeah. ever again. So it's all, you know, it's always a struggle to, to get the next job. What have you been doing since Cobra Kai? I don't even know. Cobra uh, Kai. Me bad I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Dog. No, you're like, I, I, I stopped you at Cobra Kai. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I wrote on uh, Mark Cherry's uh, Why Women Kill mm-hmm. season two. Um, during Cobra Kai, I wrote a uh, a movie called Life Size Two for Tyra Banks. Awesome. <laughs> um, that was on Freeform. Dude, you got these are produced. Cre- <laughs> I need to tell you how fucking great this is because as someone it's who's very, I've had a really cool career. I have um, good. At least you know because most people are like, I'm no, I'm not. I'm movie. not jaded in any way. Like I, I'm like I'm. There's certain things I'm embarrassed to admit that I wrote, but there, but I'm always proud of the career I built. You may have heard me say this before, but I worked on this Spanish soccer show called Club de Cuervos. <laughs> and in America, it's a Netflix show. And uh-huh. in America, it's like, wh- no one even knows. Mm-hmm. When I was in Mexico City on season two, I wrote on season two, mm-hmm. we, the the creator of the show um, is this guy named Gaz Alizraki. And he, because of, he, he also wrote and directed the most successful Spanish film of all time called Nosotros Los Nobles. And so Netflix was like, we'll let you do whatever the fuck do you want to do. And he's like, I mm-hmm. want to do Game of Thrones in the world of soccer, but it's like a family comedy with a brother versus sister. The dad dies and the brother and sister fight over who's going to con- retain control of the soccer um, club. When I was working on this show, we were in Mexico City for three weeks. Whether it was cab drivers or maitre d's, when they found out that we were the writing right. staff of this show, yeah. you would think it was the Supremes. <laughs> like, we went to Puyol. You know that restaurant yeah. in Mexico oh, City? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're like, we're sorry, guys. Like, we went at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're sorry, guys. Like, we're booked we for like yeah. fucking Christmas. Like, no. Call us in four months. <laughs> and like, this guy, Gaz, like, leans in. He's like, um, Nosotros uh, los uh, escritorios para Club de Cuervos. They're like, can you come back here in an hour? Like, we'll yeah. set a table for you specially. Yes. And we ate a Puyol. So, like, things <laughs> like that would happen where I was like, no one in America knows that I have this amazing job. But, like, yeah. th- what I also will never forget is the plane that I got on to go to Mexico for that job uh-huh. was a Club de Cuervos airplane. Oh, really? Which was insane. Wow. Like, Netflix had, like, branded airplanes that were going to Mexico with this show. It's amazing. Yeah. When was this? Um, it was 2016. And how do you get a, how do you get that job? Like, why do they, why do they look at you and say, you should, soy un cuervo, <laughs> um, to eres un cuervo. Um, so 
I the way I got that job is a woman named Amanda Krenzman who worked with my brother met me at a lunch. I went to go like pick up my brother for lunch when they were both working at Gail Berman's company or mm-hmm. whatever. And she was like, that guy is fucking funny. And so when she was working on international comedies at Netflix, she called me and was like, I'm going to suggest you for this show, Club de Cuervos. This was right after Undateable. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, I, I work on a Bill Lawrence show. Like, I'll be yeah. staffed for the rest of my life. Right. Like, everybody loves, Bill, you know, that's Undateable. What, that's what we think, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And then... First of all, when I got this job, all the other writers were like making fun of me. They're like, you're going to work on a fucking Spanish speak. I was like, yeah, but like we write it in English. So like who cares? It's money. <laughs> Money's green and, and it's WGA. And we're gods in Mexico. Yeah, you don't even fucking know. So I wrote this pilot, uh, this sample called Sleeper Cell, which was about the, is a true story of when I had a Muslim roommate at college, freshman year, like a year after 9-11. And because he was Muslim and like he was so wonderful and funny, he was like truly like, he was so he was more American than me. He came to America with like the entire box set of scrubs and like, you know, yeah. he just wanted so badly to like uh-huh. be immersed in American culture. Aww. He's amazing, this guy named Abad. And so I wrote this very funny story about the two of us and his father is like a huge Pakistani diplomat. So mm-hmm. for visiting day, my dad came, he was working at Miramax at the time and gave Abad like, here's the clerk's 10 year <laughs> anniversary DVD. Abad's father gave me like a fucking cashmere scarf and like leather cashmere lined gloves. Amazing. Right? And he had like a bulletproof cavalry with him. Um, and so I wrote this story and the creator of the show when I got on, um, it wasn't even Zoom, it was Skype, um, he said, he's like, dude, your fucking sample. And I was like, thank you so much. Because I had to like research shit about like, you know, foreign dignitaries in Pakistan and Hezbollah. Like there were jokes in yeah. it that were like sort of. You had to learn shit. Yes, I had to learn <laughs> shit to like write this. And the truth is like the show doesn't work if it's just like, oh, well, you're a Muslim and I'm a Jew. What it really was right. is like he was in America and so thrilled to be here because of like Netflix, Pornhub, all these things, drinking, all these things yeah. he couldn't do because of Sharia law. And me, I turned my character into like a fucking tryhard who had never had beer, never smoked weed, mm-hmm. never had sex. And so like, you know, he he pushes me to the brink and that I rein him in. That wasn't true? No. I oh. had had sex, but only with one person. <laughs> and uh, I was probably having sex with a box spring <laughs> most of the time. Um, but I loved him. And so I wrote this thing and that sample got me the job. Um, I want to read that. Yeah, I will send it to you. And so I flew out to Mexico <laughs> And I was so nervous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, your first day in a writer's room, like imagine having to fly to Mexico City. I had no idea where I was. I got into like a little cab and they like dropped me off at this writer's room. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget it. We got back to the like Airbnb where we were all staying and this higher level writer um, whose dad is like the most famous cantor uh, at uh, Stephen S. Wise, he, <laughs> he pulled out a vape pen and I was very nervous. I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to get weed in Mexico. Like I mean, he pulled out a vape pen and I literally fell to my knees. I, I was like, I'm safe. The details <laughs> of your stories are, are so good. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I felt, you know, safe because I was with a, bu- a wonderful group of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no women, which was very problematic. And I truly think I got that job because the one woman on the show, she was very concerned about security. Mm-hmm. And she said in season two, I'm bringing security guard with me. And they're like, what? You're going to hire security? Like we're, we're working out of an advertising agency. Uh-huh. Like, you know, it's not like we're working in Michoacan for the cartel. Like this is a Netflix show. Was like, she from LA? Yes. Oh, and so she was a little nervous down there. I guess, but they had like gone to Mexico and I'm like, what? So that's why I got the job is because at the last minute, someone backed out and this woman was like, well, I know this funny Jewish guy and I got that job. And then I got fired, which was... (sighs) Why? Because they were like, Matt, your scripts... No, they were like, comedically, your scripts don't tonally align with the comedy of Club de Cuervos. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, you have to understand, dude, like pop culture references, the only ones that really translate internationally are like Michael Jackson and Star Wars. And like, you are doing much more than like what we want. And like, they were very edgy. There's a lot of sex, a lot of drugs. And Mm -hmm. like, that was my wheelhouse. Right. But for whatever reason, like they had this kid that was not my boss fire me. And that really fucking pissed me off. Yeah. Um, And I was... I was very conflicted because it was like, by the way, this podcast has become about me and I'm so sorry. No, I'm really into this. I was very conflicted. I will listen to this podcast. Because I was like, I don't really want, like I want to work on an American show. Like I want to get a job on like whatever. In America with my family. Yes, right? (laughs) I don't want to keep leaving my new new wife. Um, And they called and they're like, you're fired. And when I called my manager, she was like, what? And she was like, you don't even want that job. Like, But it took me a long time because it was the first 
writing job. It probably won't be the last that I was just like, yeah, dude, like you're not right fit. And yeah. The show went on for three seasons. It's hard. It's a hard thing to hear, especially on a, when you're on a show that you're in love with writing. Yeah. It was fun. And yeah. like, I didn't, what was, what was troublesome is that the showrunner lost the confidence of the room mm. week two in Mexico city because he was just like, he was very frustrated that we even had to be in Mexico city oh. and it sounds Go like on. a bunch of people went to Mexico City unwillingly. You're not to wrong. To make a great show. You're not wrong. Because what would happen is the, the creator of the show was editing season one. Mm-hmm. And so he could not be taken away from the Avid Bay to come to America to mm-hmm. break season two. So we all had to go to him. Yeah. And then they brought us back again because uh-huh. this fucking creator could not look at anything but until Mexico it was way City too late. Mexico City is amazing. It was, but I was locked in a room all right. day. I guess if you're locked in a room all day. I was locked in a room all day and it was. But you went to Pujol. I did go to Puyol. I did. Puyol. I say Puyol. Puyol. Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, I forget where I was with you, anywho. The, now, the, the, the Mexican flag drink at Puyol. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, did you have it? No. It's just three shots. Uh, tomato juice, lime juice, and tequila. Then yes, I did have that. I didn't know oh. it was called the Mexican flag. Well, I think they call it something else. Okay. But everywhere we went, we were having shots of tequila with tomato juice. So good. Which I was like, why don't we do this back in the States? It's so good. Why don't, I mean, it's not hard. We can bring this no, here. I know. Why, me and my brother, when we go out, we drink Bloody Maria's, which is yeah. Bloody Mary with tequila. I'm aware. <laughs> Sorry. If there's Sorry. one thing I know, it's booze. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, that drink is so good. Um, if you can call it a drink, it's just a, it's three shots. Yeah. Controversial question. What are your thoughts on the strike? Do we see an end in sight? Like, how are you? Like, I, Yes, because, well, were you deep into your writing career during the last strike? Or no, were you I just was in starting? college. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, every, I mean, it was, it was shorter than this, but it was, everyone had the same feeling of like, we're, oh, it's ever going to end. Like, this is the end of us, you know, it was very uh, dark days back then. And I, can, I remember feeling it then. And I was a new writer at that point, so it was even kind of scarier because I thought, well, what am I going to do if I if this doesn't resolve? Yeah. And I can't have a career in writing. Um, but it resolved, and everything went back to normal, and, it, and everything was okay. And in the end, we got a lot of the things we had asked for, and you know, everyone was happy. This one's different in the sense that there's it feels very there's a lot on the line yeah if they don't come to the table with some real uh options like i'm scared of the ai shit that's that's a career killer for a lot of us yeah and so did you read that article that simon rich wrote i start reading it and then i get panicky and i have to (laughs) like like take a xanax before Uh i can finish so i have i started it and then i was like nope yeah it's just it's too much it's like It's a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I was like, we were saying earlier this, that whatever studio exec said, we'll starve, Bob them. Iger. we'll starve them out. We'll wait till they lose their apartments and their houses. It's like, I'm there motherfucker. Like I've got about three payments left in the bank account on my house. And then it's going to be like, now what? Or, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to buy groceries for this huge family that I've created. And, you know, we're in good shape, but we're not in great shape. And I still wouldn't support the WGA backing down. Yeah, no. I'm about to lose my house and I will not back down to this. Yeah, no, I, I, it's so funny. My dad is like, you know, I go to this boy's lunch with a lawyer from Loeb and Loeb and uh, the head of the so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And like, they're all of his like out of touch, 72 year old white men. Mm-hmm. And he's like, at a certain point, Matt, like, why don't you guys just like, you know, to, to, you know, just take the deal. Like the one they offered you, I'm like, I'm like, cause you don't get it, man. And like, like how, how fucking out of touch are you? Like he, he's like, do you really think like the minimum staffing? I'm like, I thought that minimum staffing thing at first, I was like, that's dumb. But when it was explained to me, it's like, no dude, it's so that they can't replace you with fucking AI. Yeah. That's where I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. Because at first I was like, but yeah, no, the showrunner gets to pick like why? Right. But, but you know, even not all showrunners are, are doing the good Lord's work. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know how else to explain it um, without, you know, throwing people under the bus. Um, Throw them. I know. This is where we, we do it, right? Yes. No <laughs> one's listening to me anyway. Like, like a lot of people, uh, I usually get a call like an hour or two after and someone will be like, can you delete that? I'm like, I will. <laughs> of course I will. But you have to understand, like, I do not have the reach of Joe Rogan. Yeah. So like, it's probably a safe space. It's, safe. it's so funny. I did um, the Cobra Kai companion um, podcast yeah. while I was uh, working on the show. And it was the first time I ever did a podcast. And I gave away uh, a big <laughs> secret of the upcoming season. Mm-mm. And I didn't even catch it myself. The, the, Pod, the host of the podcast was like, are you allowed to tell us that? And I said, uh, I don't know. Was it live? No, but okay, it was It was one of those like almost live. Like oh. he turns it around immediately. And so I got off the, uh, the recording of the podcast. And it was over Zoom. And I, and I uh, texted the big three and I said, hey, I'm, I think I just said, you know, story point story point and they were like you gotta have him erase that <laughs> i was like oh fuck I, I messed up um so but he did he erased it by the way did you ever get to meet elizabeth shoe while you were doing that no because they shoot in atlanta oh so i yeah i never made it out to atlanta f- for any produ- i was gonna be able to go for season three and then i had a baby Ruined everything. So Atlanta is being faked as for the valley, is <laughs> yeah. what you're telling me. It yeah. looks so good though. <laughs> I like, know the strip malls well, are pretty fucking spot I, on. They get a lot of B-roll, I think, uh, when oh, they're back okay. here. And, okay. and like, but do you ever notice, like, when they drive out to like Big Bear or wherever they are, it's like it doesn't quite look like California. Um, and by the way, I, I know we're not allowed to be like writing, and I'm just gonna say I am because like there's too much time. Yeah, to not. Well, it's, you can only strike honestly, for three hours like, a day. You know. I'm just writing poetry. No, yeah. one, you don't care, right? Yeah, no. Are you? Is there? Is there anything that you're excited about, or like anything that you had always wanted to write and never did? Or like, yeah, I'm work. I'm actually finally writing um, this big family comedy that I've had in like on the back burner. I've had this outline for ten years. Outline. Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm, I know. I've had turn an, it into the script already. You fucking lazy. I know. Fuck. I was like, why have I never like? It's just. You start taking jobs because you have to pay bills, yeah. And then, and then you get that one really awesome job that you're you invest everything in, and you're so proud of. And then, you know, things just get forgotten. And so I'm finally doing that. I'm uh, developing uh, a big animated feature. Uh, IP or a ridge. A ridge. Okay. And is this a Stacy a ridge? Like, I'm like, what am I going to tell? Because. It's it's a Stacy Ridge. Okay. It's about the rodeo. I love it. And and there hasn't ever been anything no. in that arena. Um, Is this set up? I've got a big solid team behind it. I have Shadow Machine. Uh huh. They did I, BoJack. They did BoJack. They did Pinocchio. Yep. Uh, I have Stampede Adventures. John Berg. Okay. Uh, and I think I can say this. We have. <laughs> Uh, producing and starring voice. Now, does bl- does come with? I'm hoping because there's a a very natural role for her. Uh, Are you a fan? I'm a fan, but like I said, I'm a country fan. Oh first, right, so, so you care about more than? That's fair. I mean, to score, who's also, by the way, like people's sexiest man alive, a couple years back. Like, uh-huh. I feel very like I. Hit the country jackpot. Have you met him yet? No. When do we get to? I don't know. I mean, as soon as I can actually really start uh, trying to sell this thing. Do we have like an outline? Is it a pitch? Like, what are we I selling? I have a pitch. We have artwork. We even have some story, some sequences storyboarded. Wow. Um, yeah. Shadow Machines team does not fuck around. They're no, they so good at what they do. It's ridiculous. It makes, it actually makes me feel uh inept i'm like i'm like am i doing am i doing okay for you guys with my idea um no and i'm so excited about this one it's like it's a dream project and i just hope i can really 
see it through to the end. Do you um, like pitching? I don't love pitching, but I know I'm really good at it. Can you please elaborate on this? Because some <laughs> when I, some people are like, I fucking hate pitching. It's the worst thing ever. And some people are like, I don't really like it, but like, I am good Mo- at it. Most writers are introverts yeah. and uh, probably at some point, you know, a little bit of a dork in high school mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, that's just like the nature yeah. of a screenwriter. I am not that. <laughs> I, I, is it cocky to say like I wasn't a dork and I love putting on a show? Uh, same. I was. I'm. I'm sorry. I was cool. Yeah. I think. I mean. I think I was cool. I know I was cool because yeah. people told me I was cool. Yeah. And I was student body press. I was homecoming queen. It's like I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Not sorry. Sorry. Dog. Not sorry. Um. No. And and I I'm a performer. Yeah. I love it. So I I don't love pitching because it's uh it's like nerve-wracking and yeah. and you want to impress but all you're really ever going to get out of the people you're sitting across from is like maybe a smirk. So it's hard to tell a joke and not get a laugh. Yeah. Um do you hate pitching on Zoom? I said like whatever. It's like it doesn't it doesn't bother me any more than pitching in person. The only thing I hate about it is mm-hmm. when everyone's like we're going to mute our mics. I'm like, no, I need yeah. to hear you fucking yeah. laugh. Or turn off their screens. Yeah, you ding. Yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, Stop you think it. I thrive on silence? Yeah, what are you, nuts? Yeah. Do you it's... think we'll ever get to go back and pitch in person? Yes, yeah. Like, I think... if there wasn't a strike right now, like, would people be pitching in person? Yes, yeah. I, I, will real, I think I'm going to refuse to pitch on Zoom Good. after this. Good, same. I just burped. That's okay. We can cut it out. You don't have to cut it. I'm good at it. Um, do you have any like uh, tips for young writers? Like when you're pitching, when you're about to have your first day in the writer's room, like what would you tell you on your first day before going into your first staff job? It's kind of funny because I, I, I probably give all the wrong advice because I know what advice was given to me before yeah. my first day on a network, staffed on a network show. Who gave you the advice? Do you remember? Um I think it was my TV agent at the time and maybe uh, one of the other, one of the like uh, EP writers mm. on the show because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'd never been staffed before. What was it? Was it Goldberg's? Goldberg's, got yeah. Um, I had only been in, I had, I got that job because I was in a punch up room on one of Adam Goldberg's features. Mm. So, uh, you crushed, obviously. Always. Um, so <laughs> what we do, Doug? No, I was, yeah, I was, I'm great in a punch up room. I, I, I thrive in that, you know, 24 hours in and out on a project. And, oh, you want to make it funny? I got you. Yeah, dog. Um, so I crushed it, yeah, for him. And then he brought me on to Goldberg's, but I didn't know what, a t- I didn't know how to do a TV writer's room. So I asked a couple people, like, you know, what's your advice? And their advice was, you know, you're new. You're young, you're a staff writer, so keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I was loud and vocal day one, and I'm sure I I rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I, you know, got heard and you know, some things got shut down, some things didn't, but so my advice is to be yourself and just go with what you feel and if you're a loud mouth performer uh cool kid from high school and you want to continue continue to uh float your boat that way like do it but if you you know are a bit of an introvert and a bit nervous like maybe sit back be quiet and take it all in at first yeah before you finally let out your magic i don't know it's like i don't feel like there are wrong answers yeah or a wrong way to do it um I just feel like there's lots of right ways and yeah. you just got to find that the right way that works for you. Yeah. You may have heard me say this, but my tip is don't walk in on your boss naked in the Warner brothers gym shower because that happened to me. Oh, that could be the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> but my boss was so nice. Like he totally. And it was, it was like, I didn't, is that Bill Lawrence? No, it was Adam Stekiel, but like Bill was literally like in the shower next door. That's amazing. Adam Stekiel and I, have a Northern Michigan connection. Yeah, he's from there too. Yeah. Do you guys know each other from childhood? We don't. We but we met out here. Yeah. He's also USC. 
Yeah. He's the nicest. Like, truly, people are like, who's like your fucking writing hero? I'm like, him. They're like, yeah. why? I'm like, because he's hot. <laughs> he's also nice. He's so successful. And just like, he crushes on the page. He, he crushes. He's He's great. Yeah, he's so nice. And he is pretty hot. Yeah. That's what we kept saying is like, how are you hot and talented? I forget that about him. <laughs> I forget that he's hot. But on like the second week of, I've told this story before and I'm sorry if I'm fucking boring you or anything. Not at all. Okay. The second week of Undateable, I realized like, oh, everybody that's going to the gym with Bill and Adam, like that's how you get like in with the dogs, right. you know? But like, but you had already seen him naked. No, no, oh, no. So then you So went. I'm like, okay, okay I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start working out too. <laughs> So I go and get the same exact blue Herschel bag that Bill Lawrence has. Um, I get on the golf cart with them. We go. I run three miles, whatever they do, running and whatever the dumb thing they do. And all the Warner Brothers, like, showers, there's, like, a curtain. And I don't realize, like, if the curtain's closed, that means someone's in them. And if – because, like, if they're half open, that means no one's in them. And I, and I wasn't I wearing my glasses. if they're half open, that means come on in. Yeah, right. I just <laughs> didn't know. And my, I took off my glasses just now in real life. I don't know why. But I didn't have my glasses on. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, kind of flustered because you're trying to change. But, like, I'm also in front of people I'm working with. Right. And so you're doing the beach shuffle where you're, like, mm-hmm. I'm taking off my pants. But you can't see because it's a towel around me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like ripped open the shower curtain and Adam looks at me and he goes, uh, hey, dude. Um, and I immediately like get out of the shower and I'm like, it's fine. It's totally cool. Like, no big deal. He knows it was an accident. It's fine. We go to a run through, like uh, network run through. It's totally fine. And I tell these two other writers, I'm like, I just walked down an hour and Adam in the shower. Like, he's a professional. It's no big yeah. deal. Well, whatever. We get back in the writer's room. We all shower. <laughs> yeah. We get back in the writer's room and like Adam sits down with the script and he's like, so house what do you think of my dick <laughs> yeah basically like um and it became it became um i became very endearing to the writer's room and yeah. then like when agents would come for show night they'd be like so um how did you walk in on adam in the shower so i you say you tell this as a story of what not to do yes but it, please don't walk it, in on your boss it worked it, d- it did work it did endear me to them yeah and um, he told that story to everyone he's probably writing about it right now he should be he should so, be so it worked. Like, yeah. do it. Go walk in on your boss in the shower. Right, and this was pre me too. You know, um, I have a. I can. I can, not top that story, but I can parallel it. Please. I uh, was part of the Imagine Writers Lab um, long Dope. ago. It was a very cool gig, um, where ten like ten writers, um, all kind of workshopping um, different one or two features. Uh, under the watchful eye of Karen Kahila Sherwood. Don't know her name, but wonderful. Shouts. Um, great, great lady. Karen Kahila Sherwood. And then, you know, every once in a while, Ron Howard would pop in and Incredible. you know, sit in on the on the meetings. And um, this happened to be, I happened to be right uh, in the midst of me having my first baby. So I gave birth on Saturday, and but on Tuesday was a big a big director was coming in to pitch the lab uh, a movie idea. And it was actually, it was Jeremy Garlick. Yeah. And he was coming in to pitch um, some things out to us to see if anyone wanted to write them. And I was really into this idea. So I, you know, put my big girl britches on on Tuesday after giving birth on Saturday. And uh, you deserve a medal, by I, the way. <laughs> I went into Imagine. And when I walked in and Karen was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I really wanted to hear Jeremy's pitch. She's like, okay, well, come on in. And um, in the meantime, my mom and uh, baby daddy were uh, downstairs outside Beverly Hills walking the baby around in a stroller. (laughs) Um, So my milk hadn't come in yet. And my milk decided to come in as I was sitting in this meeting across from Ron Howard and Jeremy Garlick. <laughs> and I didn't notice because I didn't know what that feeling was yet. And it's actually body temp. So you don't actually notice when your boobs are leaking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm just sitting there and I'm so attentive and they just keep looking at me like, like they're talking right to me. And I was like, this is, this meeting's going great. <laughs> and then Ron Howard goes, uh, um, you, um, and I look down, and my boobs have just gushed milk out. And so uh, Anna Culp, who is a very good friend of mine, was uh, worked for Imagine. She was there. And I ran into her office, and I was like, 
oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's okay, take your shirt off. She gave me a... Um, a parenthood sweatshirt. I was just going to ask, what studio swag did they give she you? She gave me a parenthood sweatshirt, and I went back into the meeting in a parenthood sweatshirt, and I was like, please continue. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you can't really go wrong. You did can you get to write the movie, though? Embarrass yourself. Yeah, I got See? to write the movie. Fucking A, dude. Yeah. Called Take My Wife, a comedic take on, um, oh, it's the Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson, uh, where he... Uh, Indecent Proposal? Indecent Proposal. It was a comedic uh, take on Indecent Proposal God. called Take My Wife. Just fucking take her. Are you going to run it like, are, do you want to run a show? Yeah, I want to do it all. Good. I want to run a show. I want to I wanna direct. Please continue. I, I'm hoping I can direct uh, this animated feature. That would be so tight. Um, do you know writers can, that's the thing, like all writers can direct animated features. Yeah, no one can, tells you that. We can do it. I had a meeting with Netflix recently, I, and they were like, I didn't realize it was to be a director. Oh. And so in the meeting, I'm hey. like, so um, are what? you guys allowed to say who's directing this? And they looked at me like- We want you. That's what you're- Wait, That's amazing. You're, it is, but I didn't get the job because I was totally unprepared. I had no fucking okay. clue, and I got very mad at my reps. Like, what? why didn't anyone, hello? Right. But well, whatever. You win some, you lose some. Idiots. I know. Um, yeah, no, I want to I wanna run, a sh- run a show. I want to, I would love to, my- my sample script is uh, also based on my own life, and I've, I always have wanted to make this show. Okay. So if anything, I would want to run that. Um, but I've never set it up. So Let's set it up, do. dude. I, I want to direct. Uh, I still want to get out to Nashville at some point, mm-hmm. sing a few bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, got lots of lots of dreams in the, in the old bucket stuff. I see you opening for... Or you become friends with him, and he's like... I got a real special friend. We're working on an animated project together. Come on out of here, Stacey Armin. I would be lying if I wouldn't if I didn't say like, you know, he was on he was a judge on The Voice yeah. all this time, and and now he's not anymore. But I, when he originally came on board this project, I was like daydreaming, like fantasizing that he's like, well, let me, you know, oh, you're a singer. Oh, well, let me hear a few bars and. Oh, you should come on The Voice. <laughs> then, or just turns then, his chair for And you. then they all turn their chairs. Oh. It's like, and I'm like the mom that, like, it was. I put this dream away so that I could go make money for my kids but and my family. But now I'm here that. and I want to prove to them that no dreams ever die. Incredible. <laughs> it's going to happen. And then I win the whole thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, my little fantasy that ran through my mind. It's going to happen, dude. Yeah. Keep at it, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.